Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David concludes the series on our 40 Days of Discipleship with a look at Jesus' instructions to the disciples. Where were they to go and what were they to do and what were they to take with them? Let's listen. Well, as you just heard from the children's message, in the scripture we're going to study today, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and spread the good news in cities and towns around where they were going. Because Jesus recognizes that he cannot go to every city and town. He is only one person. So he needs to send his 12 disciples to go be Jesus' representatives in those cities and towns. Well, I hope you see where we're going with this today. That we too are Jesus' disciples today which means that we also get to be Jesus' representatives in the cities and towns in which we live. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, we got to study this scripture about how Jesus sent out his 12 disciples to go be his representatives in all these different cities and towns. Now, for a long time, the disciples just followed, right? They just followed Jesus. They learned from Jesus, and they watched Jesus do the ministry. But here, for the first time, they are being sent out on their own. How do you think that would feel for them? When was the last time that you did something that you were trained to do, but it was the first time you did it on your own? That's a bit of a nerve-wracking feeling, isn't it? But also exciting at the same time. Think about the first time you got your driver's license and you drove in the car without any parent next to you. That's a, a pretty great feeling, isn't it? But it's also a, a pretty nerve-wracking feeling. You're, you're responsible. You are alone in that moment. You're on your own. Or think about if you worked for a job and it's a new job and you were training to do this job and you had your boss training you and teaching you and you were the apprentice and then you came in on that first day where it was just you, solo, on the job. Well, that's a bit of how these disciples must be feeling, where they've been learning from Jesus, following Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, you are going out to do what you've been trained to do, but you're doing it on your own. Well, that's the story we're going to study, and Jesus sends them with some instructions. And so we pick up our story in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. These twelve, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So the first thing we're learning is that there's a limited scope on this missionary journey, which makes sense. After all, there are only twelve of them. They can't go to every city and town, and so Jesus says, there's a limited scope here for this first time that I'm sending you out. Just go to these towns in Israel that they were nearby. Now, this should not mean that Jesus didn't care about Gentiles or Jesus didn't care about Samaritans. He did. In fact, at the end of this gospel is when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make more disciples and to spread this message of good news to all nations to the ends of the earth. That's how this gospel ends. But we're not there yet. 
No, we're at the beginning where Jesus is still training these 12 in discipleship. So they are to go just to the nearby towns in Israel. And they have a job to do once they arrive in these towns. That's where the verse goes next. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So the disciples are given one message. And this one message is what they are to share. They are to proclaim when they go into these towns. Did you catch what that message was? The kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? It means that God is now here. That God is present here on our earth. And everybody needs to know about it. And and did you hear that it wasn't enough for the disciples simply to say this message? They needed to show the message too. It's kind of like the saying, well, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? I mean, the talk is the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. God is here. But then what's the action behind that message? What is the walk? Well, Jesus says the walk is that people who are sick are being healed. One's inner demons are being expelled. Yeah, basically, the walk is changed lives. Because if the message is that God is here, well, then that's going to have a result. The result is that you're going to start seeing people's lives changed as they awaken to God's presence in their life. This is the time where we should note that this is the same message that we, as Jesus' disciples, are to share with the world today. That God is here, and life completely changes when we remember that, when we awaken to that reality. So, if we're applying this to our lives today, what sort of life change do you think we will see when God gets involved in a person's life? Uh, All the examples that Jesus listed, I think, really have to do with the theme of healing and wholeness. Don't you think that all the things Jesus said happen because of God have to do with healing and wholeness deep in a person's life? And so our message today may be, God is present. God is here in your life. And so if you are in need of healing and wholeness, go to God. Or maybe we start with the problem. Maybe we can say something like, if you are feeling like stress and anxiety is ruling your life, if that's what's driving you, come to Jesus. God is here. God wants you to be whole. The message that they are sharing with these towns has a result attached to it, and that is life change. Now, I do want to note that Jesus is not saying this is all going to happen at once. It's not like as soon as Jesus comes into your life, there's going to be a miraculous change, and everything is going to be okay, and all of your problems are going to go away. But I do promise you that with every step you take closer to God, you will feel more ready to face the challenges that do come in your life. This is our message. 
God is here, and our lives change as a result. Okay, so they're told to bring this message to the towns that they go to, but now Jesus also includes some very specific, practical instructions for their journey. Here's where we go next. Jesus says, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Isn't this an interesting instruction? They are told not to bring anything with them. Just like in Bailey's uh, children's message, she opened up the suitcase and it was empty. Jesus is saying, when you go to these other towns, don't bring any gold with you. Don't bring any money, no currency. Don't bring extra clothing. Don't bring an extra staff. No, they are traveling with the bare minimum of supplies. Why? Why are they doing that? Because when I travel, I try to take with everything I could possibly need while I'm away. I'm like, okay, toothbrush, yep, got that. Okay, my phone charger, I have to have that. Pillow, yeah, I travel with my pillow. Please tell me I'm not the only one that does that. I got to bring my pillow. I want to make sure I have everything. But the disciples are traveling with the bare minimum of supplies. Why? Why well, believe this will help them rely on God rather than themselves while they are on that journey? Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we can become a bit too self-reliant on our own capabilities. And, and that's good at times, but at other times that acts as a mirage where we begin to believe that we really are self-reliant and that we do not need God. But I believe that Jesus wants his disciples to remember that there will be times on their journey where they do not have what they need. And there will be times on their journey where they need to completely rely on God to get them through. And I'm sure there's times in your journey where that's true for you too. In this journey of life, there will be times where you don't have what you need. There will be situations you find yourself in, you say, I'm not sure what to do right now. Instead of getting frustrated during those times, use those as an opportunity to say, I need to rely on God. Because we do not go through this life on our own. We walk with God. And those disciples, when they're walking with nothing else, think about how deeply they're going to understand that principle. Well, what's going to happen when they finally enter the town? That's what Jesus says next. He says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town or home and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Okay, so they are entering these towns where they do not know anybody. They don't have any relatives to stay with. They don't have any inns or hotels to go to. 
I mean, can you imagine going into a city where you did not know a soul and you didn't have your credit card, you didn't have any money at all, you're walking into that town with nothing. How do you think the disciples have been feeling at that point? Well, Jesus tells them that they are to find people who are kind, people who are going to offer them hospitality for as long as they are in that city. But Jesus is also realistic here. He says not everyone's going to do that. Not every home or not even every town is going to offer you hospitality while you are there. And he says, if that happens, it's okay. Just shake the dust off your feet. A modern way to say that might be, hey, just, just let it go. You know, just move on. Maybe brush, brush the dirt off your shoulder and walk away. But I'm curious, why is Jesus setting up the situation like this at all? Why is Jesus sending his disciples into towns where they need to rely on the hospitality of others. Well, I think that when you need to rely on hospitality, and I wonder if you can think of the last time that was true for you, there's a bit of a vulnerable feeling in that, isn't there? It's a little bit vulnerable to not be able to take care of all of your own needs. And I wonder if in discipleship, vulnerability is actually a good thing. I mean, can you imagine if the disciples came in with so much self-confidence that they said, we have everything that you need. We are Jesus's representatives, and so we have all of the answers, so come to us for the answers. Who wants to learn from someone who thinks they have all of the answers? But instead, they came to those towns with nothing. Nothing except the message that God is here, that God loves you. And in their vulnerability, they had to rely on others in hospitality, when also then going and sharing this message. I, I think an essential part of being a disciple is to come with our own vulnerability and to authentically connect with others, saying we're on the same journey that you are as we go and get to know God together. So they go into these towns. They're given these instructions, and then Jesus has these encouraging last words for them before he sends them out. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Wait, 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 that's not encouraging at all. Why is Jesus saying that? If I was one of the disciples, I'd think, wait, this is your, you know, halftime speech? I'm not very pepped up right now. Sheep among wolves. It's dangerous to be a sheep among wolves. Why would Jesus be sending us out like that? Well, Jesus is making something abundantly clear. There will be times when this world that we live in is going to be hostile to people who follow Jesus. In many places in the world, it is dangerous or even illegal to be a Christian. To follow Jesus is to acknowledge that this is not the safest nor the easiest path that we could choose to follow. And Jesus wants us to be aware of that when we say, yeah, I want to be a disciple. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, so therefore, here's what you can do, therefore be as cunning as snakes and as harmless as doves. Notice those two characteristics of discipleship. 
You are to be cunning, and you are to be harmless. And in a world that at times can be hostile, both of these characteristics will be needed. Now, I want to look at that word cunning just for a second, because when I read it, I kind of have a negative connotation with it. I think cunning? Why does Jesus want Christians to be cunning? That doesn't seem quite right, and maybe that's true for you too. And so I went and looked up the actual definition this week and was surprised as to what cunning means. The definition of cunning is to be uh, in showing inventiveness and skill. Isn't that interesting? And so it's as if Jesus is telling his disciples, when you go out into the world, be inventive, be creative, be adaptable, be skillful in sharing this message of love. The opposite of that would be Jesus saying, don't be gullible. Don't let the world take advantage of you just because you're a Christian. Instead, find the most inventive and creative ways that you can share this message with the world. And also be harmless. When I think of the word harmless, I don't think of a snake, which I think is why Jesus balances that out with also the image of a dove. He says you are to hold both of these things, be cunning and creative and also harmless and innocent as you leave this place and engage with the world. I wonder, how can you, as a disciple of Jesus, as Jesus' representatives in the world, be both of these things? Well, as always, we need to apply the ancient scriptures into the way we actually live today. And so here's an example of how to do just that. Are you still here? This is the third time this week I've beat you out of here. Is it? Yeah, it is. Hey, listen, why don't you wrap things up and come on over to the grill? Larry, Connie, and Sue are already there, and my husband and his sister are coming. They have a happy hour buffet till 7.30. No, that's okay. You know, none of us drink, except Larry gets a beer once in a while. Come on, give yourself a break. It's Friday. It'll be fun. No, I really need to finish. There's a 9 o'clock support group meeting I'm going to try to catch. Oh, Sandy, that's great. So, how was your day? Tough. How was yours? Oh, it was okay. You know, maybe getting out of here will make it better. We'll make sure you're on your way before 9. No. Going to the grill, it just, it makes it, I just, I really get the desire for a drink. Not like that's anything new, but it just makes it, it just makes it harder being around it like that. Well, you know, I don't think anyone's ordered yet. Why don't we go down the street to Pedro's? No, I'm not going to the party. Let's all have tea and chips because Sandy's an alky. Sandy, nobody's going to think that. And if they do, you know, who cares? I care. I'm sorry. Of course you do. Believe me, I understand. I don't think you do. Look, you've been very nice to keep 
asking things, asking how things are going and inviting me and it's been very kind of you to keep stopping by. Well, I wish I could say it was just southern hospitality, but I haven't lived here long enough to have figured that out yet. I'm just concerned and would like to be a friend. I know it's been hard for you since getting back. And if you ever need someone to just... Well, that's nice of you. You know, I really do need to finish this before nine. I found a new AA meeting on 7th and Main. Um, actually, I heard about it from someone from your church. And there's always a little time towards the end to share, and that gives me an opportunity. Sandy, that's great. I mean it. All the work you've been doing on this, it's great. You know, I know it's been hard for you, and I just want you to know that, well, I've been praying for you. <laughs> well, that's nice to know. I've got a whole collection of old friends who say the same thing. What I mean is, I've been praying for you, and I'm here. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Look, I don't get it. Ever since I got back from the rehab center, you've invited me at least once a week to do something with your family or the crowd from work. You come by and ask me how I'm doing pretty much every day, and now you're praying for me? <laughs> what am I, some kind of project? Where were you when everything was going to pieces, and I was about to just... I wasn't there. Um, I had no idea what was going on. Well, there were the rumors, especially after your divorce, but you seemed to have it all together. I should have known that that wasn't possible. But you're right, I wasn't there. But I'm here now. Well, thanks, but I tend not to put a lot of stock in instant friends at the moment. What do you mean? Before I actually confirmed the rumors and went to rehab, I had a social calendar that would make your head spin. <sighs> Fundraising committees, church committees, lunches, dinners, parties. <sighs> then I finally get honest about living in hell and do something about it. And, you know, you find out who your friends really are. Poof. There are so few people that want to hang in there during the recovery process. It is so slow. I know. You know. Right you know. With the happy family and the faithful husband. <sighs> Look, obviously I'm not good company. You should just... Oh, Sandy, no. Don't push me away. I really want you to go out with us. <laughs> it's not that easy. You don't see it like I do. Even with these guys from work. You know the number of times I've been asked, so everything okay now? <laughs> You're looking fine. Oh yes, suddenly this morning I woke up and I could hear the theme from Oklahoma playing in the background and I just knew everything was going my way. <laughs> <sighs> you know, sometimes I wish instead of all this, I was just in a major car wreck. Oh, Sandy, why? Because people could see that. Though you may not be talking about it, things are not suddenly fine. And they wouldn't expect you to be out running when you feel like you can barely get out of bed? Yes, exactly. And if they could see that your life was still 
messy and painful. They wouldn't pressure you to put on that happy face to show you're okay when you're really not. <laughs> yes, the happy face, me and Bozo the Clown, <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to prefer to stay at home or work late because it just took too much effort to be social. Um, I, would, I would be hurting and just want to be real with someone who would let me be a mess. That happy face, it's a killer. When did you? How do you know these things? Yeah. Because I've been there. Our son died three years ago. He'd be six next month. Oh, Karen. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Nobody here knows. It's one of the reasons why we moved here to start fresh. But really, honestly, it comes with you wherever you go. And recovery from this, you know, may never end. <laughs> But I am miles from where I was three years ago. So is Bill. You know, we almost ended things because of all the pain and the grief. I know what it means to hit rock bottom, uh, to cry out to God and hear no answer. Yeah, I've been there. But it's by God's grace that I'm here right now. I just, I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything. I just, I just wanted you to know. I come by your office to ask how you're doing because somebody took the effort to come by my office every day to ask me at a time when I could barely keep my guts together to make it through another day of work. Joanne, she was like a mother to me. She didn't need to do it. In fact, I thought it was such a waste of time for her. I was the same day after day. But still, she would come by just to sit and talk. I wasn't feeling much of a connection to God at the time. In fact, I was so angry at God. But Joanne, she showed me the love of God. She was the love of God at a time I could experience it no other way. I once asked her why she kept coming when I would say the same grieving things over and over again. I asked her why she kept coming. Why did she? You know, she said that when she had the opportunity to be with me, that she was on holy ground. She said, when God gives you opportunity to minister, it's holy ground. You know, I never forgot that. <laughs> I'm not Joanne, and I may be really bad at this, but I'd like to be here if you'd let me, just because. It's holy ground. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> thank you. Just thank you. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org 
or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.